0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read and preach verses 1 and 2 this evening. This is the beginning of a chapter that some have called the best chapter in the whole Bible. If you were giving out that award, you may or may not give it to Romans chapter 8, though I imagine that even if you didn't, you would put this chapter pretty high on your list If you've never read Romans 8 before, you're in for a treat. It is a great summary of what it means to be a Christian. Of course, all Scripture is breathed out by God, so every chapter of the Bible is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. But we all know that some parts of the Bible are more clear than others. Some are more central than others in terms of the main message of the Bible. Some parts are more memorable some are more encouraging, some are more heartwarming, more meaningful in terms of how the Lord has used it in your own life, in your own growth in Christ. Romans chapter 8 would certainly be high on many of our lists. If you were on your deathbed and you sensed that you were going to die very soon, and a loved one asked you what scripture passage you'd like for them to read to you, what would you choose? I wonder. I think Romans 8, again, would be pretty high on your list. In fact, I heard a story once about a godly elderly woman who was near death, and a young pastor was sitting by her bedside ministering to her, and she chose Romans 8 for him to read to her. And he started reading the chapter, and it's a fairly long chapter, as you may know. So he stopped about halfway through she said, oh, oh no, don't stop, keep going. And so he read on all the way to the end of the chapter about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll recall by the time he got to the end, she had passed into glory. She had died while Romans 8 was being read to her. I'm not sure I could think of a better way to go than that, a better way to pass into the presence of Christ than hearing the words of Romans 8. This is perhaps the best chapter in the whole Bible, if not the best, then one of the best. We can be thankful for the clarity and the profundity and the simplicity and the beauty and the power of this particular chapter of God's word. This evening, we're going to give our attention to just the two first two verses, and we'll see what God has said to us in this portion of his holy word. Let's pray and ask his blessing on our time, then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every chapter of your word, but we thank you especially for this chapter of your word this evening, for Romans 8 we pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law we pray that you would teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us in righteousness we pray that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ teach us especially about our freedom from condemnation and our freedom from sin Through your Son and your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Let's listen now to God's word together. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you haven't done some scripture memory in a while, these two verses might be a good place to start. Maybe you could even do the whole chapter, something to consider. Two points we'll think about together this evening. Freedom from condemnation, that's in verse one, and then freedom from sin in verse two. And in verse one, We should note four things as we think about freedom from condemnation. Four things. First of all, notice the word, therefore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore connects back to what Paul had said at the end of the previous chapter. If you look back at verse 24 of chapter 7, verse 24, he said, Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he confesses his wretchedness. He asks for deliverance. And then he rejoices in Christ, his deliverer. Christ will deliver me from this body of death, he says, both now in part and in the future in full. Christ is my deliverer. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, the Deliverer. It's not that there's no condemnation for us because we've somehow figured out a way to deliver ourselves. No, there's no condemnation for us because we are in Christ who delivers us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our salvation, our deliverance, our freedom from condemnation is not because of anything in us, anything we have done. It's only because of Christ and what he has done. We're not Christians because we're clever. We're Christians because of Christ who will deliver us. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think we should allow these truths to raise the level of our joy and our thankfulness and of our humility. Christ is our deliverer. We do not deliver ourselves. Christ is our deliverer. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. Second thing we should note in verse 1, notice the word now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, now that Christ has come, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. Now that Christ has accomplished our redemption, there is no condemnation for us. Now that the long-expected Jesus has arrived, now that the promised Messiah has come, now that he has lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death and rose from the dead, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in him. Of course, there's also a sense in which this now becomes personal for each of us when we first repent of our sins and put our trust in Christ for our salvation. And having done that by God's grace, now there is no condemnation for us. Before, there was condemnation. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Before, there was the judgment of God hanging over us. Before, there was the wrath of God abiding on us because of our sins against him, our sinful hearts, as well as our sinful deeds. But now, now that Christ has come, and now that we are in him, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now is so much better than before in this sense, isn't it? Our spiritual condition now in Christ is so much better than it was before in Adam. Before we were totally depraved, now we are totally redeemed. Before we were dead in our sin, now we are alive in Christ. Before we had condemnation, now we have justification. Before we were alienated from God, now we are adopted into his family. Before we were living for the world on our way to hell. Now we are living for Christ on our way to heaven. There's a great difference between what we had before by nature and what we have now by grace. Between what we were before in ourselves and what we are now in Christ. The more we appreciate that great difference the more we recognize and remember that difference, again, the more our joy and our thankfulness and our humility will grow. The third thing we should notice in verse one is really the main point of the verse. It's those two words right in the middle of the verse. No condemnation. No condemnation. Let's think about what that means And about how glorious it truly is. The law of God requires perfection. The law of God requires perfect obedience. It requires personal obedience. It requires perpetual obedience in our actions as well as in our words and even in our thoughts and our desires. And there's no margin for error. There's no wiggle room. There's no grading on a curve. If you fail in one point of the law, you are guilty of all of it. Because the law is a whole. It is a unit. It is a unity. If throughout the course of your whole entire life, you break the law of God at any point, in any moment... If you fail to obey the law perfectly and personally and perpetually, if you fail in your actions or perhaps one of your words or even a thought or a desire that is contrary to God's law, then you are guilty. You are a law breaker. You deserve death. You deserve judgment. You deserve the wrath of God. You are condemned. By the law. All of us by nature are condemned by the law. Doesn't matter how good you try to be, doesn't matter how religious you are, doesn't matter how committed you are to certain morals or virtues. All of us, men and women, boys and girls, stand guilty and condemned in the courtroom of God's perfect justice. The gavel has fallen, the verdict has been pronounced. The sentence has been read, we are condemned. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Second Thessalonians 2.12, in order that all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think we need to feel the weight of the condemnation that we deserve, that we deserve personally, in order to appreciate the freedom from condemnation that we have in Jesus Christ. We're like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, with an enormous burden, a heavy burden on our back. We're like a criminal standing before the judge with no excuses, not a single excuse, having broken every rule in the book. We're like a prisoner on death row awaiting his execution. Paul said at the end of Romans 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the bad news we must acknowledge before the good news is truly good. These are the dark Clouds we must reckon with before we can appreciate the glory of the sunlight breaking through. By nature, in ourselves, in our sin, we stand condemned before a holy God. But now, now that Christ has come, now that we've put our trust in Christ as our deliverer, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There was condemnation, but now there is no condemnation. Look at the words of the verse. It doesn't say, There might be condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, your status is secure. Your verdict is secure. Your destiny is secure. It's as secure as Christ. No condemnation now I dread. That's why we sing that hymn with confidence. Not wondering, but trusting, believing. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, "Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God." Towards the end of Romans 8, "Who shall bring any charge Against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As believers, we are no longer condemned, we are justified. We have peace with God. We have been adopted into his family. We have been united to his son. That changes things, doesn't it? It changes our relationship with God himself, most fundamentally. God is no longer our judge who condemns us. He is now our father who loves us. He condemned his own son, So that he could justify you and me. How great is his steadfast love toward us. How deep the Father's love for us, the song goes. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. My wife sent me this verse earlier this week. Micah chapter 7. Verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you. Pardoning iniquity. And passing over transgression. For the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights. In steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast All our sins into the depths of the sea. This no condemnation changes our relationship with God from a relationship that has a lot of uncertainty and hesitancy and unholy fear and performance to a relationship that is full of joy and peace, and security, and holy fear, and rest. No condemnation fundamentally changes our relationship with God. It also changes how we think about ourselves. We are no longer condemned criminals. We are now adopted sons and daughters. So we don't have to walk around like a condemned person. Sometimes we do that. Just sort of moping and cowering and dragging our feet through life. We've been set free from condemnation. We've been declared righteous in Christ. That should put a hop in our step, a glint in our eye. Not that we don't ever experience conviction of sin, we do, we do daily but we are no longer under condemnation because of our sin. The heavy weight has been removed. The burden has been lifted. And so this changes how we think about ourselves and how we live our lives. No condemnation also changes how we relate to others, doesn't it? Because we don't have to go around trying to prove ourselves to others all the time making everything all about us. This actually frees us up to really and truly serve others and not try to get from them the approval we already have from God in Christ. No condemnation changes our relationship with God. It changes how we think about ourselves and it changes how we relate to others. But there's a fourth thing we should notice in verse 1 before we look more briefly at verse 2. And I think it's the key that unlocks the door to freedom from condemnation. It's the last phrase of verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Freedom from condemnation comes through union with Christ. It is for those who are united to Christ by faith, for those who are united to Christ in his death, in his resurrection. Freedom from condemnation is not for all, though it is offered to all gloriously, wonderfully in the gospel. Rather, it is, quote, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason that's so important is because by nature we are not in Christ Jesus. By nature we are in Adam. We are united to Adam, the one who represented us in the Garden of Eden. He fell in the Garden and we fell with him. And so we have sinful hearts, and we sin against God every day. We deserve condemnation from God. But because God is merciful as well as just, because He is gracious as well as holy, He offers to us salvation from sin, freedom from condemnation. If we repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ... We are united to Christ by faith. Not by good works. Not by religious rituals. Not by our own efforts. No, we are united to Christ by faith alone. And there is no condemnation for those who are united to Christ. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Well, it's because Christ was condemned for us on the cross. Bearing shame and scoffing, rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. The condemnation we deserve fell on Christ. He paid it all. He drank it all. He bore it all. And now there's no condemnation left for us who are in Him. We have freedom, complete freedom from condemnation. But freedom from condemnation isn't all we have as believers. We also have freedom from sin, like I said Verse 2 emphasizes, so this is our second main point now, more briefly. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul's basically saying this that the Spirit has set us free from sin. The power of the Spirit has set us free from the power of sin. Let's look more closely at what he says. Note three things here. First, he mentions the law of the Spirit of life. That phrase there, the law of the Spirit of life. What's he referring to? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the law of the spirit of life means the principle or the power of the spirit of life much like the law of sin and death means the principle or the power of sin and death so the law of the spirit of the law of the spirit is the power of the spirit that's the sense and the power of the spirit is infinite it's unlimited Because remember, the Spirit is God. The Spirit is no less powerful than the Father or the Son. The three persons of the Godhead are the same in substance, equal in power and glory, as our catechism summarizes the biblical teaching. So the power of the Spirit is infinite, unlimited. The Holy Spirit of God is omnipotent. And he dwells in us, which does not make us omnipotent, but it does make it so that we can conquer our sin in his strength. And he is the spirit of life, Paul says. What do we say in the Nicene Creed? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. He is the life-giving Spirit. He generates and sustains and grows life. Listen to a few verses, Romans 8, 6. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Ezekiel 37, verse 14 After the vision of the valley of dry bones, God said to Ezekiel, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Later in Romans 8, verses 10 and 11, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One more, John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The spirit of life gives life. It is sin that brings forth death. Sin promises life, but it brings death. The spirit promises life, and he delivers on his promise. The second thing we should note In verse 2 is what's on the other side of the battlefield, as it were. Not the law of the spirit of life, but the law of sin and death. Again, notice how sin and death go together, and the spirit and life go together. Sin and life do not go together. No matter what the world may tell you, or the devil may tell you, or your own sinful flesh may tell you. Sin and life never go together. The law of sin and death, again, is the power of sin and death. The reigning, ruling, dominating power of sin and death. And we were under that power when we were unconverted. And we didn't even know it. We didn't even realize it. We were fine with our life. Or perhaps we were upset with our life, but not because we hated our sin and wanted to be reconciled to God. We were blind to the reigning power of sin in our hearts and our lives until the Spirit came and opened our eyes and led us by the hand to Jesus Christ. But the law of sin and death remains in us even after we're converted. We still have the flesh, we still have that remnant of corruption within us, and it will remain in us until the day we die or until Christ returns. But the good news is the third and final thing we should notice in verse 2. The good news is that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of God has set us free from the power of sin. Paul said in Romans 6, verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in verse 36 of that chapter so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We have been set free indeed by the Son. The Spirit has set us free from the power of sin. The spell has been broken. The rebellion has been subdued. The dynasty of sin has ended. King sin has been removed and King Jesus has been enthroned. And again, this is in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. We have been set free by virtue of and by means of our union with Christ it is because we are in him that we are free from the tyranny of sin. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Two things by way of application as we draw to a close this evening. Number one, This helps us when we're tempted, and this helps us when we give in to temptation. This helps us when we're tempted, and it helps us when we give in to temptation. It helps us when we're tempted to remember the simple truth that we are free from sin. We've been set free from the power of sin by the Spirit of God, so we don't have to give in to temptation. Of course, we shouldn't give in to temptation, but my point here is that we don't have to. It's not a done deal once we're tempted. We don't have to give up. We don't have to give in because we are no longer under the power of sin, the reign of sin. We would think it odd if a soldier, every time he was attacked, just surrendered. Because he was attacked. No, when he's attacked, it means he has to fight. So when we're tempted, we don't have to surrender, we have to fight. And in a sense, we've already won. Because... The power of sin has already been broken by Jesus Christ. So when you're tempted to sin, think, I don't have to give in to this. I've been set free from this. I don't have to give in to this temptation because the power of the Spirit has set me free from the power of sin. And the power of the Spirit is stronger than. Than the power of sin. So these truths help us. They help us a great deal when we're tempted. They also help us when, sadly, we've given in to temptation. When we've given in to temptation, sometimes we just feel like a total failure. We're tempted to despair. We're tempted to wallow in our guilt, to mope around in our shame. But when that happens, we should recall this glorious truth, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction, yes. A sense of guilt, yes. Shame for our sin, yes but not despair, not defeat, not condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we confess our sins, and we believe God's promise that he has made to us that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are free from sin. We are free from condemnation. Knowing that helps us when we're tempted to sin and when we've given in to temptation. Second, and finally, all of this is ours, is true for us, because of Christ and his life-giving spirit. We have freedom from sin and freedom from condemnation because of our union with Christ and the power of the spirit of life that is at work in us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are set free from the power of sin and death by the power of the spirit of life. And I think this should remind us once again of how utterly dependent we are, each of us, on God. Without Him, we are condemned. Without Him, we are under the power of sin. But in Christ, and by the power of the Spirit, We are justified, not condemned. We are free from sin, no longer under its power. And so we rely on Him. We say with Paul, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, we seek to live as those who are free, Free from condemnation, free from sin, in Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for our union with Christ and for the power of the life-giving Spirit who dwells within us. We thank you for the fact that we are free from condemnation and free from sin. Help us to apply those glorious truths to our everyday lives and relationships. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll sing together.